It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Three games in the NBA playoffs tonight. The Denver Nuggets completing a big comeback. Plus, Boogie Cousins is done, and the Lakers admit that the Anthony Davis trade talks bothered them. Plus, we've got more playoff games coming up. We're going to preview it all for you in the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Let's do this. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast covering everything you want to know about the association. And on Wednesdays, I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, and you can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. And I am John Corrales, co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You find me on Twitter at Reds Army underscore John. Welcome back. Thank you. And a week off. Well, not really, because I was uh, that was what there was. A, I was in Washington covering the Celtics, and the Wizards. But boy, whew, what a game that was. <laughs> so, hey, look, it's marching towards the playoffs. Those things are important. We're, we're going to sure. talk about the Celtics in a couple of minutes here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Big, oh. one, big one for them, but we had some big games, some big performances uh, uh, in the association here for, for a lot of game twos here. Oh yeah, so let's 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 do it. You you might not have watched all the games, even though they were three. We did, and so we call this the too long didn't watch. We can start with the Toronto Raptors one eleven to the Orlando <laughs> Magic eighty two. Like Toronto needed should, this one so badly. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have watched this. This was not a game you should have watched. This was an utter decimation from jump. You're right. Toronto needed this. Kyle Lowry needed this. Really needed the it. Fans needed this. After that game one, oh no, here we go again to have a thorough top to bottom, beginning to end, just wrecking of the Orlando Magic was exactly what the Toronto Raptors needed. 
Uh, yeah, and this is what we kind of expected for that from them going into the playoffs. You had Kawhi Leonard with 37 points on 22 shots. I think he had 17 in the third and just was all over the place. Four rebounds, four assists, and two steals as well. Kyrie Lowry bouncing back 22 points from him on the night after zero in game one. You had Ibaka hitting a three for him. You had Danny Green kind of defending and flying around. Marcus All doing just enough. And then you had off the bench Siakam, or not off the bench, starting form, just kind of show that he's like a budding superstar almost and kind of was all over the place too. Like they should be doing this to the Orlando Magic. Yeah, and this is what the Toronto Raptors are are about here. The Kawhi, Lowry, Siakam combination, 78 points between the three. They're only four points off what Orlando scored. It was 82-78 Orlando versus that trio. So you just needed a little extra something. Uh, the, the thing that they did, I think, especially well, everybody's talking about the scoring. What they did is they neutralized the really one threat that Orlando has in in. Nikola Vucevic and he was non-existent six points six rebounds he, he didn't do anything if the if the uh, magic are going to have any shot at at making this a series when they go home Vooch is going to have to step up and he's gonna have to find a way to get more aggressive to to play through some of the contact that he's getting and to to become the all-star type player that he was versus this it, they have no shot it was nice of them nice of the magic to step up in game one but to to do this in a series when you say star power wins the series the teams with the better players win a series obviously toronto has the better players but orlando's gonna need vooch to to step up because uh terrence ross can only be so hot for so long no, and, and he was great in the first quarter where he kind of carried them and then didn't really do much else the rest of the game. And they just don't have the players, like you said, to kind of keep up with this. You've got DJ Augustin, who was great in game one, but you can't rely on him, I don't think, for a seven-game series. He had nine points in this one. As you said, Vooch had six. It's just not enough. Aaron Gordon did what he could late in the third, but by then the game was just out of hand and it doesn't matter. And they don't have the scoring to keep up with this Toronto team. So, you know, we were probably going to say this series is over. Maybe we shouldn't given that it's Toronto. But man, when you see them playing like this, it, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is all, I mean, it's all Kawhi. This was all yeah. Kawhi. And you just ride ride the superstar to a win. And this is why. He's there. This is why they made this trade that you get a Kawhi Leonard for a moment like this, that uh, in game one, it didn't work. And in game two for a two seed, your superstar has to come out and be like, all right, fine. I got to do this. And he did. I mean, 15 of 22, my God. That's yeah, he, he was outstanding in, in this game. And also, like, yeah. even no matter what, when he's doing that, it's they're tough to beat. Simple as that. And yeah. so they got the win. They're probably going to win the series here. So keeping with the theme of maybe Kawhi Leonard here, let's go to the team he was traded from. San Antonio Spurs losing 105 to the Denver Nuggets 114. A game the Spurs led by as many as 19 in the third quarter in this one. This was pretty fun for one guy, John, <laughs> late in the third and the fourth, getting really hot. Yeah, Jamal Murray was uh, was 0 of 5 in the first half and then 8 of 11 in the second half, 8 of 9 in the fourth quarter. And 
Isaiah Thomas during the broadcast was, he, he made a great point. Like everything was going wrong for him. And he, then he got to the line and he hit, he hit a free throw. And sometimes all it takes for a scorer that is as potent as Jamal Murray can be is that one, just seeing the ball go through the hoop, having a tough shooting night, getting to the line, just, all right, I can put the ball in the basket. That just gives a tiny bit of confidence to go out there and then start hitting shots. And let me tell you, he was not taking some good shots. He was taking some bad shots, contested shots, but he just got blazing, blazing hot, and he carried them down the stretch. And this is why no lead is safe. I just want to say this. No lead is safe. We've learned this now. I just want to say this before you give your your two cents. <laughs> I, people on Twitter, man, be, oh, this series is over. In the second quarter, in the second quarter with the Spurs up 19, even in the third quarter with the Spurs up 19, oh, forget it. This game is over. This series is over. Forget it. The night after we watched the Clippers come back from 31, and we're saying a 19-point lead in the third quarter, and we're like, ah, forget it. Like, Do we not learn? Do we not learn? No, we don't. We never do. But yeah, the the Spurs, the Spurs got cold. The Nuggets got hot, and this is exactly the type of Nuggets team that we're looking at. All of a sudden, one guy gets going, and then everybody can get going. Let's not forget that yeah, um, Gary Harris had a big third quarter. That other players stepped up and and kept this thing close, and then Jamal Murray caught yes. fire and, oh, and my carried goodness. them the rest of the way. It, it, late in the third, they were down a bunch, and they went on a, I think it was a 16-4 to four run compared to the Spurs to kind of close that quarter out and really seize the momentum and get themselves back into the game. And it started with, as you said, Jamal Murray hitting that first free throw that then kind of vaulted him. I think he started 0 for 8 in the game is what it was. Eight. He finished 8 of 17 on the night. Two of three from deep for 24 points. All of those 24 points basically coming late in the third quarter and on. He was outstanding, kind of sparked him to victory. They get this win, and Will Barton didn't play particularly well. He was one of ten from the field. He finished with just three points. He had some quiet games from others. Jokic wasn't amazing like we were kind of expecting him to maybe dominate this series a little bit, though he did finish with 21, 13, and 8. But it's so funny. I'm sorry to interrupt you. He had 21, 13, and 8. And he was and, quiet in this one. And I agree. I agree with everything you just said. He didn't look like any sort of – he was dominant at all. I, one of my points was he needs to assert himself more, and he had 21, 13, and 8. Yeah, sorry, I know. Continue. He, he spoiled us a little bit here. And <laughs> they still get this. This win, as much as you want to give the credit to Murray, and like obviously he deserves a ton. He's the guy that's scoring this. Malone, their head coach, Mike Malone, deserves a world of credit in this one. He was talking about after the game how he just, you know, normally in this situation when you have a guy playing that poorly, you might want to sit him down for a little bit in a playoff game when you're trying to avoid going down 0-2. And he stuck with him. And he said he went up to him and said, basically, you're in your head. He said, you're thinking the world's ending on every single one of these shot attempts. I love you. Just go and play, and I trust you. And it worked. And that's how they won this game. That is amazing coaching, in my opinion, because it goes so against what you would expect. Here, It's so – I agree completely. Murray's 21 years old. He's such a young guy, and and he's right. Malone's right. Like, he was in his head. Yep. And and sometimes a little bit of 
you know, we believe in you is, is all a guy that that young needs. Like this is an inexperience. This is the knock. One of the knocks on the nuggets. Like they've never been here before and you're playing a Spurs team. Like that is as seasoned a team as you're going to get. And obviously with pop. So to, to have a guy like Murray, just feeling that pressure, feeling that, that tenseness in his shoulders and, and really thinking too much about what's happening out there instead of just saying, all right, I'm a shooter. I'm going to go shoot, shoot or shoot, score or score. And that's what he is. Uh, and, and that was awesome. And, and I want to say that give him credit Malone, that he, he said that before the game, like they're coming off the bench with guys who were in the G league last year and yeah. the Spurs, the Spurs are coming off the bench with Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, who aren't like world beaters, but experienced guys, guys who understand the moment and, and can, can thrive in those moments. So there's a, this is a young team and it's, it's not about, I don't, it's not about the nuggets winning a championship this year. And and maybe they they were overperforming uh, this year and outperforming their expectations. So it's still important to understand that a, in a situation where you in the playoffs where you might normally say he's not doing it, bench him. It's a little bit different for the Nuggets and sticking with the guy in this moment. Maybe not exactly the coaching move you would do to win this series like under normal circumstances but for the nuggets to be a true contender next season getting murray these reps in this moment and letting him work through it is more important yeah no i, I agree with that and also it also won them the game so clearly you kind of get the best and of both, both, both worlds with it. it worked out pretty good uh so yeah of course we're gonna praise this co- coaching decision now can I ask you about another coaching decision? What did you think about Greg Popovich pulling his guys with a minute 30 left and only down 10? I, so, you know, he knew it. He, he, he's smart. He knows when to throw it in. I go back to thinking of when these two teams played, what, at the end of the regular season with like either the final game or the one before that, and he got teed up 65 seconds into the game and got thrown out and was like, I'm not yeah. going to show you anything. <laughs> I, I know I'm playing you guys maybe in the playoffs. So I'm not going to show you a thing. And he gets ejected. Right. Like, I get it. That's smart. Don't don't overstress your guys. You're going to lose this. You stole home court. You don't need this one. Sure. Okay. I, I thought it was a little interesting uh, because in that there's no lead is ever safe <laughs> vein. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's you our know? new motto, right? Well, you know, like, like, they, had, they had good games for, from DeMar DeRozan. We should probably mention some of the Spurs players in this one. He hit 31 sure. on the night, seven boards. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, not the best shooting night, but 24 points and eight. I think he realized they just went ice cold. Don't let them overthink this. Just sit them down. Like, let's move on. He's kind of, you know, the master at all of that. And, like, I don't know. I'm just not going to question moves that he makes. I think no, at this right. point, I mean, yeah. Pop. Like, who the hell am I? Who am I? Yeah, what, what are say, you doing here, John? Be like, let's Pop? question Popovich. No, I know, but I was feeling myself for a moment there. Uh, yeah, let's let's just shout out a couple of Spurs players. Derek White was was really good, and he's going to be exceptionally good for the Spurs. Uh, you know, as as far part of their future backcourt. Um, so we're going to shout that out. And uh, Jakob Pertl did a a decent job defending. 
Jokic. You know, he was mentioned. pretty good. At, yeah, he he was kind of key for it. Like again, I, I think this is this is an interesting game that kind of just shifted when one team went from being cold, which was the Nuggets, to being yeah. hot, and then the Spurs, who were hitting all kinds of tough shots early, stopped hitting those tough shots. It's like, what are you going to do? Right. All right, moving on to the final game of the night. Another blowout here. We have the Portland Trail Blazers, 114 over the Oklahoma City Thunder, 94. I don't think you or I were expecting this series to be 2-0 in favor of Portland, even with them being the third seed right now. Yeah, when they lost Nurkic, I thought, man, the Thunder can really just hammer them and, and attack Enos Cantor, and they, they didn't in game one. And Cantor didn't play as much uh, in in the game two. Uh, the the Trailblazers went uh, other ways. They they we saw Myers Leonard get 14 minutes and hit a big three, and we saw we saw them go a different direction. Um, so it was some of the things that we thought were going to happen didn't and that's why you play the games, right, Jake? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean also this one is. You know, it's Dame time, which is apparently from tip-off yeah. now, and he was ready to play to start. He started a little bit slowly, and C.J. McCollum kind of carried him through the first quarter, and just the Thunder had no answer for that. Lillard finished with 29 points on the night on 21 shots. He was 4 of 8 from deep. You had C.J. McCollum with 33 points on the night on 22 shots. He was 3 of 7 from deep. When they're doing that, it's Pretty tough to win a game against them. And they've kind of solved a little bit of this Oklahoma City defense. They just throw Steven Adams in the pick and roll and force him to make a tough decision. Do you kind of double on the ball handler? A guy like Damian Lillard, because you probably need to take that away from him. Or then you leave just one of the bigs to have that kind of pick and pop shot. Zach Collins played pretty well in this one. You mentioned Myers Leonard. Jake Lehman's getting minutes that are kind of being quality. And that's how they're beating this team, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, I think uh, Damian Lillard being able to handle the pressure a little bit better than he did in last year's playoffs is is showing itself in in this particular series he's he's not um he's not shying away from those double teams i think he's inviting those and and playing off of them uh and and being able to pass out of those and set his other his teammates up uh, a little bit better better than he has in the past which shows with the yeah. six assists tonight um it's it's and that's an important thing like that's dame is this is this is like you said, Dame time, but not just this game, the playoffs. This is the time where everybody around the league that doesn't really watch West Coast games and Trailblazer games all year goes, "Oh, this is what people are talking about." Um, but this year, especially, I think Lillard is growing to be an even better player, and this is why he's being looked at as a you know first team All NBA guard or second team All NBA guard, and and why he's uh, why he's able to carry the, the trailblazers is just doing those little extra things that he couldn't quite do last year on top of the elite shot making, which he's known for. Yeah, it also helps when the Thunder shoot barely over 40% in a game, too. And I Russell mean, Westbrook really. goes 5 for 20 from the field. 
for just 14 points, did get the assist numbers, 11 there, nine rebounds too, but he, he was blowing wide open layups at times, not open layups or airballing shots too, and just not getting back on defense. He didn't seem like he was fully in this one, and it kind of compounds on itself, so he misses the shot on the offensive end, then gave up. I think it was Lillard hit a three for the and one three because they had to throw someone on him last second to not let him get the open shot. That kind of compounds on itself. You know, Jeremy Grant had a game to forget in this one. He was one of seven for just five points. I think really the main guy who showed up was Paul George, whose shoulder, by the way, looks pretty good now. 27 points on the night, eight rebounds. He did that little shoulder move, which is like, oh, no, is it bothering him? And then you kind of smirked and you're like, oh, he's just showing off that he's healthy now. (laughs) <laughs> we'll see. It looks like it's all, I know it's kinesio tape, but it looks like it's duct tape and it's holding it all together. I wouldn't be surprised if whenever they're eliminated a, a week later, you hear Paul George has gone in for shoulder surgery to clean out whatever he's, he's dealing with. Uh, but he's gutting through it. Uh, the only thing is it's, it is affecting his three point shooting. And without that, that there's just, they have no chance. It, I shouldn't say no chance, but if you, the thing that when we've seen teams come back from deficits, it's been powered by the three point shooting. Like that's why no lead is safe. But if the, the, the thunder who aren't exactly a big three point shooting team anyway, they were five of 28 in this game. So they are not a great three point shooting team. Yeah, that's, and, you know, who knew three-point shooting is important in the NBA now? <laughs> that's that's going to be the thing that keeps them from winning a series like this. Like, the, the Thunder need to win by coming out hot and staying hot and putting the pressure on. Like, Westbrook needs to be phenomenal. He needs to be sublime. He needs to be not only just hitting some of his jumpers, but attacking the rim and getting free throws. Like, he only took three free throws in this game like that's you can't be Russell Westbrook and only get three you need to be taking 10 and attacking to a point where you're putting the team in the penalty not only are you getting your free throws but now you put the other team in the penalty and you're getting other people their free throws like that's the type of thunder that needs to show up to to have a shot at making this a series again if you can't shoot your way back from a deficit then you're you're toast like that's it like i believe the thunder could go up 20 and i still have faith that the trailblazers could shoot themselves back into it i don't have faith that the thunder once they're down 20 in in like the second or third quarter can shoot their way back into it no, that's fair, particularly when you see kind of Portland really figuring out this defense, too. And so even if they're already up, they're probably going to keep adding to that because you're not really going to stop them from scoring, as we saw with them putting up 114 in this one. So that's the too long didn't watch for the night's worth of playoff games here in the NBA. We're going to talk some Lakers. We're going to preview the games coming up in a minute. But if you want to keep up with everything going on around the association, best way to do that is to subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast through the brand new Himalaya podcast app. There are too many podcasts out there. That is the truth. And Himalaya has personally curated playlists with a very smart algorithm that's going to give you the right type of recommended comment to help you sort through all of that. Find the things that you want to listen to. They're putting in brand new features almost every single day so make sure to download the himalaya podcast app and subscribe to the locked on nba podcast no matter what moves you made last year 
TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. So big news coming out from that Warriors blown lead, not the blown lead, but the DeMarcus Cousins injury. And this kind of sucks. DeMarcus Cousins out indefinitely now with a torn quad in his left leg. I think it was also the tendon. I might be wrong about that. Um, This is, look, uh, you know, being the Pelicans guy here, this is just rough to hear and see that he's going through another one of these injuries after what happened so recently to him. Yeah. It's again, you know, he, he works his way back to get to the playoffs. He plays basically a game and a, not even a half. Yeah, and not a half. Here. And that was his first time ever playing playoff minutes. Yeah, it's it's just it sucks. And that's a tough injury. I have actually suffered that injury, the torn quad. It, okay. is, it is not fun. It takes a long time to come back from. Um it, it's possible, possible if they get to the finals, if it's just the quad that maybe at he could make the tail end of a, uh, an NBA final. I, it, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, it's, a t- it's just it's a tough injury. But the good news is uh, it's not like a ruptured tendon. It's nowhere near as seri- serious as the Achilles. So while it is disappointing for him, I don't think he goes into the offseason with more injury questions. I don't think this is a summer of, oh, my God, can Boogie recover? Like, he'll, he'll be fine. Like, by mid-July, he'll be, you know, out there playing five-on-five five again, I don't think, with any issue. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, exactly. And he, he's played all right for Golden State. He's had some moments. He's also had some moments where he hasn't looked particularly good. And, you know, I don't think he was necessarily in line for just a gigantic contract this offseason anyway. So I don't know if it impacts that much um, with him in his future. But this is a guy who went from earning that Supermax in the $180 million or the, the $210 million it was to playing this year on the, the taxpayer mid-level exception of basically $5.5 million. So it's rough to kind of see where he was and where he is right now with all of that. Does this impact the Warriors at all in the postseason? Are you worried about their chances to win a title? Does this just change much for them at all? I mean, it changes a little bit for them, but I, yeah. I don't think if this is this is the one injury, like the one guy that they can, for I guess, afford to lose. Yeah, that's no, I think that's a fair way to put it. Like it, it's he's kind of been the luxury for him, right? Like they got Andrew Bogut, and and they're not going to get they're not going to play Andrew Bogut a ton of minutes, but. Bogut's been fairly effective, but really the best lineups for for the uh, Warriors have not included Cousins at all. You're better off throwing out your, you know, Kevon Looney lineup 
before a uh, cousins lineup. Like you, you want to play fast and with a ton of motion when you're the Warriors, and not with Boogie posting up and and bogging things down. So there, there was already talk of should the Warriors limit Cousins, and now. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like a positive because I don't want to no. make it sound like the injury is a positive thing. But they they can they could probably play better and use matchups that they felt like maybe they couldn't use right away because they had to play Cousins the minutes that he was getting. No, that's fair. Also, he he wasn't great in Game One against the Clippers either. You know, he, he kind of struggled in that, and this matchup really just didn't favor him. So you had to wonder if they were going to scale back his role a little bit. And like you said, you know, he's kind of the luxury, and this is the one guy maybe it's okay if he sits out. And they also played the majority of the season without him, and they clearly did okay during that stretch too. So it's unfortunate. Hopefully this is something that he can come back from sooner rather than later. Um, and I guess we'll wait to hear a little bit more as probably the swelling goes down. It looked nasty when he was walking by uh, on his own power, which was good to the locker rooms. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we get some good news for it because that just might haunt my dreams, I think. For the, for the near future here. What's, <laughs> what's haunting Lakers fans' dreams is Rob Polinka. And since Game of Thrones is back on, we I apparently apparently everyone's using the phrase consolidating power right now. And that's what he's doing there in L.A. Big news from them is he's flying out to Philadelphia to meet and interview Monty Williams, former Hornets and Pelicans head coach, for their opening. If he's doing the interviewing, they're not restructuring their front office, huh? No, no, and and this is this is the criticism of Jeannie Buss and uh, Mark Stein in his New York Times newsletter really kind of laid it all out there that if Rob Palenka is getting more power, if he's getting what it's what seems to be his um, the I guess the free reign to kind of run the team as he sees fit, then this. Uh, as Mark Stein puts it, it's, it's going to be Jeannie Buss's biggest failing uh, as the owner of the Lakers. And I would tend to agree. You hear the stories. I heard Zach Lowe talking about uh, her talking uh, about Kobe. And late in his career, she was asked, how do you feel about the Lakers chances? And she said, as long as we have Kobe, we can be contenders. And, and it was well past the time that he could carry a team. So I think the Lakers and Jeannie Buss have a, a problem that they are, are too blinded by the Lakers exceptionalism. The fact that this Lakers uh, family is the, um, is the path for them. Like Palenka is, was Kobe's agent. And that's why he got the job because the Lakers want Kobe to be part of the organization. And he's just not, I I just don't think this is the way to go. I think the thing that we've seen in the NBA is you got to get away from these irrational attachments. Like Kobe's always going to be a former Laker and whether Plank is the GM or not, like just you, you have to run the team with quality front office that is doing all of the scouting and all of the legwork and all of that stuff. And that is ahead of the curve when it comes to the analytics and the science and not behind the curve as they are so reported. Uh, I just, I don't like this path 
for the Lakers. They need to they need to pull the and I I'll, I'll always keep going to the Brooklyn Nets for this example when an owner like Prokhorov came in and made a sweeping declaration and forced basically the Nets to make the worst trade in NBA history. He, he at least realized, geez, I screwed this up. And they hired a competent guy that, who hired a competent coach and they took a competent path. And here they are, the Brooklyn Nets at, back in the playoffs and winning a playoff game against the Sixers and, and on the upswing, whereas the Lakers are still mired in the muck and it's one organization being responsible and another just kind of doing things the same old way. Yeah. And so, so I guess the good news for them right now is we haven't really had any horrible leaks come out of there. I think for the past 48 hours, which is probably a record because during the season, they were kind of involved in some trade talks with a team here in New Orleans about Anthony Davis, and that seemed to have really negative consequences to their team. You have the quote from Josh Hart? Uh, I do. Josh Hart was asked about the um, the the trade, and he said uh, it was annoying. Nowadays, everything is on social media, and for the first time in our lives as young players uh, – I'm sorry, that was Kyle Kuzma. Uh, so – Josh Hart said the social media thing. Cal Kuzma is the one who said for the first time in our lives as young players, uh, is the first time re- realizing that basketball is a business. And then Caldwell Pope said it affected us a lot. Lots of the, lots of trade talk was there. Everybody's kind of worried about that, especially the guys who haven't been through it. Uh, and that all comes via Anthony Irwin of the locked on Lakers and the Friday locked on NBA podcast. Yeah, that's not great because I can tell you all the leaks were not coming from the Pelicans. They were coming from the Lakers as they tried to kind of put pressure on the Pelicans into making a trade. And it completely, completely backfired. And that's the guy that they're letting run their team even more. And that's the approach that they're taking. It's not the way to do it. This is, you know, look, Plink is not the right guy and he's going to make mistakes and stuff. But this starts above him. It starts with Jeannie Buss. And not realizing how you've got to run a modern NBA franchise. I think we've seen a bit of a precedent over the past couple of years, too, where free agents want to go to well-run teams. They'll go to a small market if it means they can go to a well-run franchise and have a chance at winning. And then you look at the Lakers, who are the Lakers, and they can't get anybody to sign with them for all of their cap space and money that they're offering. They couldn't get L.A. guys. They couldn't get Paul George, uh, and he's a Lakers guy. He's stuck in OKC. Can they get uh, Kawhi Leonard? Is is that a possibility? I, I don't know. I don't think so. It's it's not looking there's, like it. Th- there's another LA team that I think would make a whole lot more sense for him. Yeah. So, um, at, at some point, the Lakers got to look themselves in the mirror and they got to say the way we've been doing things just doesn't work anymore. The league has evolved, and their approach of we're the Lakers, things just happen for us. It's just not how it goes anymore. And this will be this will be the crucial season. If they don't get any free agents, if they don't get Kawhi, if they don't get anybody good, and if they have to go out and throw a ton of money at Jimmy Butler and make Jimmy Butler their other max guy, then that's gonna be a problem for the Lakers. And that I think should signal that they need to change the way they operate. It's just a question of whether the people who are in a position to 
to actually change that, understand that. Yeah, so it's kind of one of those wait-and-see things. At least they're interviewing someone that everyone largely considers to be a good future head coach in Monty Williams. And knowing the type of person that he is, that's at least a step in the right direction. But he's not going to succeed unless the infrastructure is put in place around him. So we'll see if we get an update on that soon as they start their process for bringing in a new head coach. So we're going to preview the games tonight for the NBA playoffs. But before we do that, shifting gears just a little bit to the NFL. The draft is coming up. It's a lot of fun. And the Locked On NFL podcast is doing a fantastic mock draft going pick by pick with their local hosts, the experts on this team, giving you the pick and the reasons why. So if you want to know what's going on with the upcoming NFL draft less than two weeks away now, make sure you listen and subscribe to the Locked On NFL podcast. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, John, three games tonight, starting with the Indiana Pacers and the Boston Celtics. I'm going to let you take this preview here. The series is over. No, it's... um... <laughs> the the question for the Indiana Pacers is can they score? How can they score? What are they going to do to get points on the board? It's they've had trouble with that. There's no go-to guy. Uh Boyan Bogdanovich has been that guy, but the Celtics have been, done a good job of limiting him. Uh they they really negated most of his effectiveness in game one. So the, the problem is that the Pacers scored 74 points. And so they, they are confident that they can hit some shots and they, they did really take makeable shots in game one. So their, their real focus is going to be the offense for the Celtics. It's just going to be a matter of continuing to play that defense and whether Kyrie and Al Horford can step up and and do some of the things that they did in the second half. They they really didn't. Neither of them had great games. So can they get back to some of the more fluid offense? Kyrie called game one a feel out game. We'll see what happens in game two. There may be some lineup tweaks from the Celtics or the or the Pacers, and it's going to be interesting to see whether the Celtics start Jalen Brown. Or it's going to be interesting to see if the Pacers go with their Miles Turner, uh, DeMontis Sabonis lineups, which were completely ineffective and, and really contributed to that third quarter where they were they only scored eight points. So uh, it's all about the adjustments. And uh, I think the Celtics, this is going to come down to the Celtics have Kyrie, they have Al, and if Gordon Hayward 
Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, who had a big first game one. Uh, if, if any one of those other guys can step up, I just don't know how the Pacers are going to uh, combat that. But we'll see. That's what that's the storyline going into uh, game two. That, that was pretty good. So other game on the night, another one coming up is Detroit versus Milwaukee with <laughs> no Blake series over. Yeah. Yeah. That one is over. That, that one's I, over. I hate to say it because I don't want to call anything, but you just get an appreciation for how much Blake Griffin means to that team's success. Like who carries that team? They just, they don't have it. No. And look, they know they're not going to win this series anyway. There's no point in him trying to tough it out and play through any pain that might hurt them long-term because they still are trying to at least build for next season a little bit, but this one largely over, it's going to be Milwaukee going up to nothing simple as that. And yeah, they're done there. The final game of the night, the late game on TNT, the Utah Jazz taking on the Houston Rockets. Utah kind of run out of the building in the first game. They've got to find a way to make Rudy Gobert effective defensively because this is just not the right matchup for him, or they need to take him out and kind of figure out how else to do run a lineup because he does not defend well on the perimeter and the Rockets are happy to play all over the perimeter. And, uh, you know, I think this is just a tough one for him. It's like a math issue. You have the Rockets that shoot threes. You have Utah that doesn't. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Once again, a defensive player of the year candidate, maybe the guy who's going to win is a big traditional center who can get schemed out of games. This was always going to be the problem. And it's the thing that sticks in my side because in the regular season, Gobert can be so effective. But in a matchup like this, in a series like this, you can game plan him out. And if you don't have Gobert parked in that lane to challenge James Harden, then the strategy that the jazz are trying to employ of sitting on his left shoulder, inviting him to take layups is just letting him take layups. Like it's one thing to say, we're not going to let you get those step back threes. Okay, fine. But when he drives to the rim, somebody's got to be there to challenge him. And he can't, he can't just get the looks that he got. It it was like a layup line. It was just too easy. I get the strategy. It's a unique strategy for a uniquely devastating shot, but you can't just let him take layups. So the Jazz need to figure out some way, somehow, to change. And again, another lineup tweak. You need to find a way to keep Gobert around the paint and challenge the drives from. Um, from Harden and to do it in a way that when you challenge, he's just not going to flip a little lob to Clint Capella. Like they just got to find that's, that's the key to the series. That's it. Which is tough to do for any team in the league, to be fair. You know, either he's going to drive and score, like you said, he gets that easy lob to Capella or he's hitting those step back three. It's a very tough defender, but or to defend, 
Look, I, I think this game will be a little bit closer than the 32-point blowout it was in Game 1. Also, the Utah Jazz had, I think, something like 12, 18, there it is, turnovers in this game compared to 10 for the Houston Rockets. You're going to lose that. The Rockets took 95 shots. The Jazz took 77. They're not winning any game if there's a disparity anywhere near that. Like, just be smart, and maybe they can kind of keep in this one a little bit. Take care of the ball. Don't be as sloppy as they were, but they still are going to have a tough time. This was a bad matchup for them. Yeah, I, look, the, I'll go back to some of the old school advice that I got when you have a scorer that's as devastating as James Harden. Find a way, and I said it earlier, find a way to just pick him to death. Just do something that just beats the hell out of him. Send him through a pick. Run pick and rolls with his guy. Just do something on offense. Defend him with your offense and wear him down. So keep the game close. Beat him up. Hit him with picks. Even if you have to take some fouls. And I know foul trouble is an issue. But you gotta you got to trust these guys that they're not going to foul out. But do something offensively. Run a game plan that actually forces Harden to either A, go through the picks, or B, stand around defensively and give up those easy buckets, but do something offensively that you can guard Harden by wearing him out. So when it comes down to the fourth quarter, he doesn't have the juice that he has, that he that he's had in the past, and, and maybe he settles for certain things, and he's not as devastating a driver or shooter. Yeah, and I mean, they got to do something, and you know what they were doing in Game 1 didn't work, so if they want to try and even the series or at least just keep it closer, that's going to be the way they're going to have to go about it. So we've got you set for the games tonight. That's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. As always on Wednesdays, I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. And I'm John Corrales. I am the co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast on Twitter. I am RedsArmy underscore John. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you all next week. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.